I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. What is leadership like in today's football world? Welcome to another edition of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. I'm Philadelphia Daily News columnist David Murphy, joined here on the party line by Inquire columnist Mike Sielski and Daily News football expert, Hall of Fame voter, Eagles encyclopedia, Paul Domowich. Guys, is the is the party line still working? Oh, yeah. Okay. Wow, this, is- this is technology right here. This is called Synergy, I believe the kids call it. Um, we've got... Jonathan Tannewald and David Murphy in an office at 801 Marketplace. We've Hi. got Mike Sealski broadcasting live from Jamison, Pennsylvania at a kitchen table, I believe. Um, you got it. Is your son, did you lock your son in the car while you're doing this or what? No, I got one at, one at daycare and the other one at his grandparents' house. Nice. So I'm good to go. Nice. The grandparents like the kids, huh? Oh, huge, huge. There's nothing, when you're married with kids, there's nothing like having a, uh, your parents and your in-laws each live within 35 minutes of your house because they will they will take the kids anytime you can pass them off to them. Meanwhile, Paul Domowich is in somewhere in New Jersey. I'm on my couch celebrating National Junk Food Day and Attaboy. eating a, jum- a jumbo bag of uh, Hearst potato chips. That, right. that is what we sports writers we'll come, do best. Coming up later, we're going to have Bob Cooney checking in. Uh, he's going he's gonna to break down what he saw. He was out in Vegas at the Summer League watching Ben Simmons. Uh, play some basketball and he's gonna he's gonna break it down bobby cooney nice nice two guard with a nice jump shot uh camden catholic hall of famer i believe um and he's gonna he's gonna give us his expert scouting report on ben simmons but first we're gonna talk about eagles training camp it's coming up starting on monday and it is going to be an absolute crap show because the democratic national convention is going to be in town um I don't know if they're going to submit their music requests to Doug Peterson, uh, but I saw there's like been golf cart staging in the in the Wachovia Center parking lot for like the last two months, and uh, I can, I just can only imagine what it's going to be like. Damo, do you have any feel for for what we're going to be dealing with? You know, I pity the poor fool that doesn't have a, his training camp credential because <laughs> I think you'll probably not only end up not being able to get into. Uh, uh, the Novacare complex, but you'll probably end up in, uh, you know, in, in in some federal prison. Wow. Well, I got to say though, speaking of federal prisons, Mike Sielski, what are <laughs> <laughs> what do you? I, I I mentioned this to Damo uh, in the text message, begging him to to join us on the show and lend some credibility to this podcast. Uh, but I was curious what you guys are going to be watching uh, next week once practices start. I love training camp. I'm kind of a weirdo. Um, I actually kind of wish it was still at Lehigh. I but. just want to say this real quick before, uh, before Mike and Domo, before you guys get going. I've worked here for about 10 years now, and I don't think I've ever seen anything that you've written, Dave, be more joyous than the column that you wrote at the start of this week, heralding the being a week away from the start of training camp. Yeah, I mean, I love training camp as it is, and, and you know, since there's nothing else to write about, I love it even more. But, Donna, what, what, are, you, uh, what are you looking at? What, what are the three things... Uh, you're going to actually, during 11-on-11s, what are the numbers you're going to be watching um, with your notepad in hand? Well, the uh, I think three positions that I'm kind of curious to, to see during training camp and the preseason are uh, going to be cornerback, linebacker, and wide receiver. I mean, cornerback, you know, we're talking about a unit that last year gave up a franchise record, 36 touchdown passes. So 
uh, you know, that, we've got a lot of new names there. Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how some of those people, some of those new people like Leotis McKelvin uh, and the, the kid they drafted, Jalen Mills, how, how they fit in, if they fit in. I think they will. You know, whether Eric Rowe takes the next step, he, he kind of struggled in in the spring, uh, which was concerning. Uh, he was running second team after playing pretty well at the end of last season. So, uh, you know, wide receiver, we're talking about a unit that had one guy catch more than 27 passes last year. That was Jordan Matthews. So, you know, they need more production from that unit, even though I think we're going to see Darren Sproles become a much bigger part of the passing offense. But they still need they need production from wide receiver. They they added Reuben Randall. They they added Chris Givens. Um, so we'll see how those guys do. It'll be interesting to watch them go against the corners in uh, in training camp, and then the linebackers. There's you know I mean we've pretty much put Jordan Hicks in the in the Hall of Fame already <laughs> after eight starts last year when he was pressed into service and he played pretty well. But you know this is a different defense. Um, you know he's got injury history. Uh, if you know if he goes down, they've got major problems because they don't have a lot of depth. Uh, they've got Najee Good, and that's pretty much it. So, some people are going to have to step up in training camp in the preseason because you've got a unit here with 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 Hicks and, and Michael Kendricks that you really you know you you really got some questions about injury wise as far as staying healthy. You know they added the, the guy that played uh, uh, Nigel Bradham who played for. Uh, Schwartz in Buffalo, which I think was a nice pickup. Uh, he's a steady guy that'll play the sandbacker, but yeah, they just don't have a lot of depth there. So that's why uh, those three positions are. I'm going to be watching real close. Yeah, the Jordan Hicks thing is is it plays into my theory that e- all Eagles fans are actually undercover optimists. Like over the over the course of a <laughs> over the course of the offseason, the guy has gone from like all right, you know, good second round pick, like look has some potential, um, steady, to like ah man, once Jordan Hicks comes back, everything will be great. You know, like I mean, he's good. Don't get me wrong. He was a very good and impressive player. But, I mean, first of all, I don't think he's got the – he doesn't have the upside to me of a, of a Sean Lee because he doesn't have the speed or the instincts necessarily. I think he's good, but I, I don't think he's like a – he's not a, he, a uh, one-man wrecking ball, you know? Yeah, and in this defense, I mean, you know, we saw this defense here in 2011 and 2012 when, when, it, when uh, they ran it with uh, – you know, with when when Jim Washburn was the defensive line coach, and it puts a lot of pressure on the linebackers. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there's more gap responsive, the bigger gaps that they've got to cover than, than ordinary uh, an ordinary four three defense because you've got the defensive ends so often playing so wide. Uh, you know, but Schwartz has usually had uh, pretty good linebackers that that have been able to hold up and play the run pretty well. He's he's always had a pretty good run defense in this wide nine scheme which is kind of interesting so it'll be interesting to see how these guys particularly hicks play for him because hicks isn't you know, he's not a giant he's not a he's not a huge guy like a lot of uh you look at some of schwartz's middle linebackers you know there's some big guys that are hard to move that they can they can play off blocks hicks is not small but he's not big either so it's going to be interesting mike hey, mike sealski um going back hey, to Mur- <laughs> I just want to make sure you had not passed out on us because we, we kind of ignored you there for a while. Um, it's all right. I'm getting over it. What did you think? So here, so so Damo mentioned the cornerbacks, and he mentioned a guy who, you know, when I close my eyes and think back to OTAs, one of the lasting images is of how impressive an athletic specimen Jalen Mills is. Um, did you notice that when you were standing on the sidelines? I mean, he's he, he's a 
they had him playing up at the line of scrimmage. He was a safety in college, I believe. But um, you know, was I was I was I dreaming that up, or is, is Jalen Mills a an NFL ready looking body at the very least? And and how much how much upside do you think he has? And and how much you know how much stock should we put into what we saw in OTAs? Well, I think from a body standpoint, uh, I think you're right. I mean, he looked like an NFL player, which um, you know, in a lot of regards. Uh, if you go back and look at their secondary, particularly their corners over the last five, six years, um, even some of their best corners didn't look that way. Like Asante Samuel didn't look like an NFL corner as good as he was, you know, mm-hmm. it, as he could be in coverage. Um, so I think you're right in that regard. And I think that probably does matter. They need to, you know, they need a little bit more athleticism back there. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of, I, and it's to me, it's a position where, you know, and I'd love to get Damo's thoughts on this. It is a position where you can find somebody later in the draft. Sometimes it's almost like you know an offensive line spot in that regard. Like Richard Sherman was a fifth round pick. Um, you know, Sheldon Brown when he was with the Eagles back in the in the early two thousands was what a second or third round pick. Um, you know, which is relatively high, but not you know somebody you've got to go out and get in a top ten situation. So yeah, I think it's possible Mills. Look, I mean, they're open back there. You know, nobody knows what to expect out of Ja'Cory Shepard. Um, you know, what is, you know, um, Nolan Carroll going to look like? Um, those guys are both coming off injuries. There's a lot of opening there. And if, you know, if Mills can be versatile enough to play either corner or safety, then, yeah, he could see the field cert- uh, see the field quite a bit, certainly. Well, here's, here's, the, here's, the, here's the insight Damo can lend. Um, because I think, I don't know, maybe I'm kind of talking out of my rear end here, but but almost more than any other position on the field, I feel like secondary is scheme dependent. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we saw that last year with Byron Maxwell, and there was so much talk about him, um, you know, just entering. I mean, you look at what the Denver Broncos did. Um, I mean, they were a good defense before Wade Phillips got there, but they were awfully porous. Um, I mean, Joe, I just keep picturing that Joe Flacco punt that he threw. Yeah. It should have been picked <laughs> off in the in, in the you know, playoffs. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, that's when you look at that secondary, I mean, TJ Ward, I guess is, is a good player, but like you, you see a lot of guys that were kind of, you know, added on, you know, through, as you said, undrafted routes, you know, late in the draft and, and just cast offs from other teams. Uh, Dama, what, what, what specifically is going to be the difference scheme wise with regards to the secondary this year? Um, because we've heard a lot about how, you know, the technique is going to be different and, and how Schwartz asks his guys to do different things. Um, what, what's the difference going to be and what, how do you think that's going to help these guys? Well, it's, it's going to be interesting because it's, it, it's kind of a, at least I find it to be kind of a contrary scheme in that, yeah, he, he doesn't, I mean, these, these, these corners are going to do a lot of the same things initially that Billy Davis had him doing. I mean, they're going to be playing press man up in people's faces, hitting them on, at the line. But they're, after they get off the line, they're going to get more help, uh, presumably, from the safeties than than they did in Billy Davis's scheme, where they basically were out there on an island. Yeah. Uh, it, now, but the, the the difference is that Billy Davis also didn't ask his safeties to play the run hardly at all. Uh, I mean that they were they had no run responsibility. Well, they had some, but you know, which which played right into. I mean, Malcolm Jenkins that was good for him because he's not a great run uh, defender. Um, and same thing with Walter Thurman, who was a converted cornerback. I mean, they weren't great r- run safeties, so they didn't have to be. Um, but in this defense, 
the safeties are going to have to play the run in addition to helping the corners and, and playing the pass. And the problem, the, the concern I have there is, is the play action. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we, we, you can go back and look at some Eagle teams that just have, you know, back in 2010, 2000, 2000 there were some years when they just would get continuously beaten by play action. Their safeties, uh, you know, would always bite and there'd be a guy wide open. And that, you know, it's going to be, you know, that's that I want to see how it works out. Uh, but I think this, the corners in this defense won't, they, they won't have to, the pressure won't be quite as, as heavy on them as it was in Davis's scheme, I think, because, you know, theoretically they will be getting help. You know, Billy Davis's scheme, man, it, I just never really figured it out. As you were saying, I mean, Malcolm Jenkins was was arguably the second best player on the defense next to Fletcher Cox, uh, certainly the most versatile. And, you know, you would just it was hard to tell what he did at times. I mean, it it was almost like at times it just seemed like he used his safeties to he would like double team one guy with his safeties and then like leave everybody else open. And like Byron Maxwell, you could tell was not comfortable playing that kind of that kind of style. I mean, I just remember they. I just always remember seeing them bracket tight ends like going and it, it, it was almost like if a quarterback could find out where that double team was, he didn't have to. He knew he was going to have man everywhere else, you know. Yeah, that's funny. I, I think I was talking to Connor Barwin one time this spring, and I said, "Yeah, I'm confused here. I mean, you look at that secondary, your secondary last year. You know, Malcolm Jenkins played, seemed to have played pretty well. Walter Thurman was, you know, mm-hmm. considered a tremendous success making the the move to safety. You know, Nolan Carroll was playing very well yeah. until he gets hurt." And then Eric Rowe steps in, except for when Calvin uh, uh, Johnson killed him in that Detroit game on Thanksgiving, played pretty well. The only guy that didn't play well was Byron Maxwell. And yet you gave up 36 touchdown passes. How does that happen? You know, and his answer was, you know, maybe we didn't play that well. <laughs> maybe maybe you're, you're, you're looking at it wrong. Maybe, and that's probably right. I mean, but there were a lot of breakdowns. The linebackers didn't cover very well i mean michael kendricks gave up like Ugh. i want to say six touchdowns uh their, their pass rush wasn't very good last year after being really good the yep. year before uh so there was a lot more pressure on that on that secondary uh but you know they they can't give up 36 touchdown passes again and expect to compete for the for the division title that's a bold, that's a bold in, statement if i could jump Donald. in guys um damo you touched on the thing that to me is the one thing i the, the number one thing i want to see in training camp and to me, it comes down to one name, but it's broader than that, and that's Marcus Smith in that I want to see how the defensive line looks. I mean, you, you spend two minutes talking to any member of the defensive line you know, during minicamp or during this offseason. They all rave about you know, Schwartz's defense and it allows them to pin their ears back, and, and you know, you're not in a situation where a guy like Smith you know, may have to cover a guy out of the backfield or cover a tight end. He can just go be the pass rusher that – you know, presumably he was drafted to be, um, you know, I kind of want to see, okay, if that's the case, if they're in a system that is better suited to getting to the quarterback, can guys like Smith and Brandon Graham, uh, you know, actually get to the quarterback? I mean, are we going to see these guys be better um, or are we going to see them be mediocre to not so mediocre guys who can't get there and and leave that secondary kind of hanging out to dry? Yeah, I mean that's a concern for me. Marcus Smith, I just don't think is a player, and I, you know, they they would they really do need him to be the fourth pass rusher because uh, Schwartz wants to rotate four guys on the outside and and at least three inside. Uh, and I just 
you know, I don't think he has the mentality. I don't think he has the speed. So I don't know who's going to be that fourth guy. But even the other three, I mean, they've all had success to a certain degree. I mean, Barwin's, I think, twice had double-digit sacks uh, in his career. Uh, you know, Brandon Graham seems to be playing, you know, coming on. Vinnie Curry uh, has had his moments. But none of them, you know, you usually need one difference-making edge rusher. I mean, one guy that, you know, a guy like Fletcher Cox on the outside. And these three guys are all very good. You know, they're guys with high motors that work hard and will get to the quarterback and keep trying to get to the quarterback and never quit, but not a guy that you got a game plan for. And, uh, you know, that, that would concern me. Uh, you know, I mean, Schwartz has done it with, without a great pass rusher, but he's usually had – you know, he's usually had at least one guy that you had to worry about when you look at his teams in Tennessee and even Detroit. Uh, so I don't know who yeah. that guy is going to be. Maybe it's Barwin, maybe it's not. I don't know. Yeah, that, see, that's the thing that, that concerns me is that, you know, the Eagles seem to be putting so much on Schwartz in the sense that his scheme will free everything up and kind of, you know, turn guys who had been relatively mediocre pass rushers into – the reincarnation of the 1985 Bears or something like that. And, yeah. well, Jim Schwartz is a very, you know, he's a capable defensive coordinator, but he wasn't, he ain't revolutionizing the sport the way Buddy Ryan did, you know. And yeah. and it just seems to me that there's an awful lot, they're putting an awful lot on his presence and his scheme when their personnel just may not be good enough. Yeah, I mean, let's keep yeah. it, like, I mean, that's kind of the thing. You know, you go back to the whole Jordan, or Jordan Hicks phenomenon and kind of how you know, thoughts breed into thoughts when it comes to Eagles fans. I mean, again, Jim Schwartz seems like a, and he's not exactly following the, uh, you know, tallest midget in the class uh, in terms of defensive coordinators. Um, but, you know, he, his teams in Detroit were never dominant. You know, I mean, they, they, they were solid defenses. His, his, his team in Buffalo was, was dominant. But even Jim Schwartz, um, whatever you think about him, you know, he's, he's somewhat dependent upon his personnel. I mean, his secondary was always a concern, I remember, um, you know, in Detroit. And that's not necessarily his fault, but I'm looking at his, his I mean, 32nd in yards, 21st in yards, 23rd in yards, 13th in yards, 16th in yards, um, you know, with the Lions. So, you know, um, just to speak to your point there, Mike. Yeah, and, and again, that's nothing against him. It's just, you know, it's it's the sense of, oh, okay, well, all we needed to do, it's, it's kind of the same overarching um thing that we're coming down to it's it's the basis for the entire change that the eagles made like okay well we we just needed to get chip kelly out of there um and we have enough players that we should be a playoff team that was the entire um foundation at least as jeffrey lurie expressed it when he initially when he fired chip was this should have been a playoff team and the players are good enough and they went out and spent a lot of money to resign most of these guys or a good number of these guys in the offseason um and that's that to me puts an awful lot on Doug Peterson and an awful lot on Jim Schwartz just being not Chip Kelly and not Billy Davis um, to come in here and fix things. Hey, Doc, and Schwartz doesn't yeah. do a lot of things. I mean, he's not a guy that, I mean, he blitzes less than probably any defensive coordinator in the league, so we're not going to see him surprise anybody. I mean, what he goes with, everybody knows what he's going to do. You know, he just, he, he, I mean, the, the key for him, like you said, about personnel. I mean, he's got to get players that can play better than you know than they played last year. Dom, so so to me, the the, the most important guy on the team, um, 
you know, besides the quarterback, also most important guy in the offense besides the quarterback is Jason Peters. Um, and I think at the beginning of the offseason, most of us were quite skeptical, um, you know, when Doug Peterson talked about him having, you know, multiple good years left in his body. Um, you know, I mean, maybe he changed bodies over the offseason. But is there is there anything now in July heading into training camp? Is there any reason now to be more optimistic about, you know, how Peters is going to hold up over this long slog? I mean, I you know, I even I kind of talked myself into it saying, you know, Chip Kelly never gave his guys help, never kept the running back in to pass protect. Um, you know, everybody was on on an island, um, you know, and then obviously the 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 practice structure and tempo and, and everything. Nothing really helped a 32 year old left tackle to, to be at his best. But is there is there reason to think that, you know, he could hold down left tackle and stay healthy all year? And, and when will we know? Well, I think we will. Uh, they have an early buy, like I think after four games. I mean, I, I don't. I, maybe we'll have a good indicator by then. Um, I think they're going to make. I think Peterson's going to make more. Uh, what he's from everything he's said since February, they're going to make more of an effort to kind of nurse him through the week to get him to Sunday, which means I think you're going to see him sit out a lot of practice, uh, not participate in a lot of the you know, the drills that they don't think there's any need for him to participate in because, I mean, all they care about is that he lines up and is productive on Sunday. Um, you know, I, I, was, I was talking to Howard Mudd uh, a couple of weeks ago about Peters. Howard's got, uh, you know, he's probably one of the best offensive line coaches who ever lived, and, and he's got a book coming out, which is really interesting about offensive line play. Hmm. Uh, but I asked him about Peters. He, he basically only had him for one healthy year, but it was probably the best year of his career. And, you know, you said with a guy like this, you just don't know. I mean, is it age? I mean, I mean, guys just fall off the cliff at some point. And it could be, that could be the case with, with Jason. I mean, it, it, I mean, he just may be through. Uh, or was it just, you know, two injuries, the quad and the back that he suffered last year that he just couldn't get over? And, you know, you got a bad back and you're an offensive lineman. I mean, you're, it's like being paralyzed. So I, you know, it, I got a bad back and I'm a sports writer and I can't even get out of bed. Yeah. So, I mean, that could be why he was on the ground so much, why guys like Preston Smith from Washington were making him look like, uh, you know, like a journeyman. But it also could be those injuries could be because he's old. Uh, so, you know, I'm not hopeful that, that he's going to be a great player this year, the kind of player he's been. Um, you know, I think at some point we're going to probably see Lane Johnson over there. And I think the key is going to be, can they replace Lane Johnson on the right side? Because I think Lane will be okay on the left. Uh, but, you know, then you're pressing your depth, and we don't know yet whether they have any depth. Is, Tob is Tobin still the guy who, who would replace Lane Johnson on the right, or am I missing somebody? No, well, I mean, he, he played horribly last year at guard. Um you know they do they they got the kid they from TCU that they drafted in the right. fifth round that that they kind of think maybe someday, but I think you know he's very raw. But that day when, when Jason when Peters was out and and Johnson played left tackle, who who started at right tackle? Last year, um, it may have been maybe Tobin moved over. There was some, I'm trying to think. I guess no, it really doesn't matter. He played, <laughs> he played right guard. Um, I guess the point is that the only the only guy they really who who would push. I mean, Gardner doesn't play tackle, does well, they he? Got, they got Andrew Gardner can play. Andrew Gardner can play tackle. Okay. So I mean, he'll be he'll be one of their options. They seem to be mentioning Malcolm Bunch a lot. 
okay. he lined up in, uh, in in OTAs a lot at tackle and guard. Uh, so you know, I. I I think you know. There's Dennis Kelly. There's always Dennis Kelly. There is always there. You know what? <laughs> Dennis Kelly is a, Dennis Kelly is eternal. <laughs> hey, I think they ought to line up Will Bunch because he has attitude. Yeah, oh God, <laughs> I can only imagine what Will would think of playing football. Paul, it's Jonathan. I got a question for you. You were you were yeah. talking earlier about your your positions that you're most watching, and it was uh, what linebacker, cornerback, and wide receiver, if I remember right. Yes. Yes. Where, where's running back? on your chart because I feel like that's a position that even, even though, you know, Ryan Matthews is, is not a new guy to the Eagles or Eagles fans. You know, he's, he's proven to me not all that durable. Darren Sproles is getting old. Dave and I were talking about this on the, on a video that we shot before we came in here. I think that's a position where the Eagles got some questions to answer too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, because Sproles, I don't think is there. I mean, they can't use him as a runner as much as they did last year. Uh, in fact, I think what you're going to, I think their plan is to use him a lot, you know, in space as a receiver. Uh, you look at Peter. You look at that offense in Kansas City. That's what they did with with uh, you know with, with with some of their smaller running backs, and it was effective because they basically are going to run a lot of dink and dunk and screens and stuff like that. So who does that leave? Because uh, Matthews, you're right, is not a workhorse carried the ball what 105 106 times last year and and you know had the concussion so and and, and I think he's played 16 games in a season what once maybe so you know right now everybody thinks maybe Wendell Smallwood's the answer he looked good in OTAs but you know I mean really I mean OTAs for a running back uh, <laughs> is more about just learning the offense than it is showing anything because nobody's hitting you so we'll you know we'll find out about him and about the other rookie that they, the free agent that they uh, signed, Cedric O'Neill, uh, in you know in, in camp and in in the preseason. But one of those guys is going to have to step up, or more likely, I think you'll see them at, sign at least one when cuts start happening. They'll they'll bring in a veteran. Um, but you know, Peterson's. I mean, they're they've gone back to the attitude that you don't need, you know, you don't need a first round pick kind of running back that there's guys out there that can fit fine in this offense and, 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 and service, you know, be do the job. So I think that's, but it's, it's something, somebody's going to have to step up whether they're here or not yet. I don't know. Well, Paul, I, I know you got a long day of sitting on your couch and <laughs> eating, eating Cool Ranch Doritos, but, uh, I just want to say this is the, this is probably being on, on this podcast is maybe like the, the biggest honor I've had since I was named student of the week in, in second grade. <laughs> Damo, I guess was it a, was it a one room schoolhouse or something? Aim higher. <laughs> I'm picturing you wearing I'm, I'm picturing you wearing a uh, stained white tank top undershirt uh, and scratching your belly right now with like three cans of bush light uh, <laughs> on the floor. Well, if it's any console, I did go to the gym beforehand, so I, you know, I, I burned some calories and and now I'm putting them. Back in it's all about the, the preemptive the strike. That means that means you that means you can eat you can eat that much more uh, junk food. However many calories the treadmill says is how how, how many you can eat after you're done running. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Paul Dom. Assuming we can assume we pass all of our background checks and are not detained and renditioned um, to Egypt or anything, we'll we'll see Paul Domowich next week on the sidelines where it's supposed to be hot as blazes. I believe was is the meteorological term. 
Um, so thanks, I'm Paul. Br- I'm bringing a lot of extra shirts. Nice. <laughs> All right, thanks, Paul. Damo, thanks. At the risk of being like the guy in the group who, when he's asked who his favorite band is, doesn't name like the cool hipster band and says it's the Beatles or Justin Timberlake. Right. Like, I want to see the quarterbacks. Like, I want to see Carson Wentz. I want to see, you know, if he shows us anything. Like, is he is he that developed? Is he picking this thing up quickly? Um, are they screaming at him in the middle of 11 on 11? Or is he, you know, I don't know. Like, that. I, th- I feel like that's, that's, that is the most intriguing thing. I know we talk it to death, and I'm in the midst of writing a column about it right now. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. Like, that's, that's the most interesting thing, isn't it? Wait, you, you were writing a column while you were talking on a podcast? You're like Leonardo da Vinci. Do, do you use your left? Um, I'm not writing a column while I'm on the podcast. There's no way. First of all, I wouldn't do that to you. You deserve my undivided attention. Well, um, but I did make a sandwich while Damo was talking. What kind of sandwich? Um, but I mean, yeah, aren't you? I mean, let's face it. Isn't that the most intriguing thing about training camp is to see where Wentz is at? Um, yeah. I mean, to a certain extent. Um, yeah. Like I mean, I, obviously, the I think the quarterback's always probably the most intriguing part you know, of 11 on 11s. Cause it really, it's a position you can see the most about. Um, but, but yeah, of course. Yeah, I am. I am. And I don't think you're yeah. that. I don't, I would, I would never accuse you of being that, that hipster. Oh no, it's not me. That's not me at all. Um, the other thing I would say too is hipsters don't shop at banana Republic. Yeah. They, pr- <laughs> exactly. they protest, they protest working conditions at banana Republic. They do. We're, we're gonna, you and I are going to get nailed next week during training camp because that's all we wear. And the people who are protesting out, outside the convention are going to come after us in our, you know, child labor law, anti-child labor law clothing. But as, as, I was actually um, planning on walking around in a sleeveless T-shirt uh, <laughs> with with a message on the back that says "Control these," and I'll just, <laughs> walk, I'll just walk around with my guns. As, as, as long as as long as the protesters are on three quarters of Broad and Patterson and not the fourth where the Novacare complex is, I hope, Mike, for well, for your no, sake more be, than theirs, it should be all right. They're going to be across right. the street in in FDR Park, and it, anybody who covers the Eagles got an email a couple days ago from Derek Boyko, the team's uh, director of media relations, that that had the urgency of. It, it was basically the equivalent of like prepare for an alien invasion. Like mm. go to your bunker. Get your credential and then get here and then bunker down because we're going to need Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum to protect us all um, from, you know, what's coming. I mean, it was incredible, this email that that just, um, you know, the urgency and the panic of having the, the convention come to the to the Wells Fargo Center. I know, think, I know sorry, enough, I know enough people who cover the Eagles, though, that if it had been anything less than that, Mike, they wouldn't have paid attention. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's, it fit with the whole narrative of Philadelphia is like panicking over big events like the Pope and, um, you know, whatever else happens. Like it, it has to be, you know, all hands on deck. You're banned from driving on 95 and the Vine Street Expressway and the cul-de-sac where you live because it's just too dangerous to be out there on your own. Can we can we somehow find a way to steal or have him misplace Ruben Frank's credential? Uh, oh my God! Could uh, you imagine? Uh, 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 could you imagine? CSNPhilly.com insider Ruben Frank uh, probably can't get into his office in the Wells Fargo Center. 
no, I, they, he just they, sees they've it. Been, he's, they've been sent out. I talked to somebody with, with CSN. Uh, I would just like to Monday. see him interact they've with Homeland Security. They've been sent Security. to like Camden. Like they're, they're doing all their shoots from like, you know, the aquarium. I mean, oh, it's really? incredible how far away they have to park and uh, they are not happy at all. But Yeah, Ru- but Ruben, you know, Ruben just has this this grace and a plum that he uh, kind of <laughs> floats floats through life uh, with. Does he uh, listen especially to the Especially when he's... Uh, Inconvenienced. Does he listen I, to the show? I do, or yeah. Did you? Can you call Bob yes, Cooney? Right. I think he's calling me to right. ask. I'm gonna, we're going to switch from football to basketball here. Uh, bring in Bob Cooney, the Daily News, in a second. I'm going to pause the show. All right, here's Bob Cooney, the Daily News, on the phone with us now. So we're going to talk to Bob Cooney, um, who is n- not only a basketball reporter but a basketball player. And the one thing, or one of the things that I really like about his writing is that it feels as if. I'm listening to another basketball player talk about other basketball players, and he can kind of break down the game from a smooth shooting two guards perspective. Uh, actually, were, were you a point, <laughs> point guard at Can the Catholic? Oh, my God. Is You're building me up. Uh, yeah, I was one of those uh, point guards that liked to, to score a little bit. Yeah, you were. This, this is officially the LaSalle basketball <laughs> it's, it's, show now. It's good that. that we have him. It's good that we have Bobby covering the Sixers from a smooth shooting two guard perspective because the Sixers themselves do not have a smooth shooting two guard, so it all works out. So the coverage is totally lost on me, right, Mike? <laughs> but Bobby, so so what did you see out of? I mean, what did you see out of Simmons? Like, what can we, what can we expect out of him? I you know I watched some of the. I didn't watch the entire summer league slate, but I watched I watched a couple of of his of his games and and uh, you know obviously a lot to like. Uh, but he's also playing against you know future ten day contract guys. You know if they're lucky. Um, what, what did you see out of him? I mean, is it did you see more than what you were? Put it this way: Did he exceed your expectations I, for his first summer league? He did. He did. He did exceed my expectations. I you know I, I watched much much film on him and not just highlight films. I watched coaches film. I watched, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly. I I watched it all. And this kid exceeded what I was expecting. You know what it is, guys? He he does what you kind of expect with the fancy passes and and eye-opening passes, passes that you really don't see coming. But he's faster than I thought. He's quicker than I thought. He has a tighter handle with the basketball than I thought. And you know, I was talking to T.J. McConnell one day, and, and, and we are just, you know, talking about Simmons a little bit, and he said, I can't believe how fast the guy is. Like, he was beating T.J. McConnell, who's a six, you know, one point guard. Simmons was faster with the basketball going down the floor than McConnell was just running down the floor. So it, there's, there's attributes to his game that, that are more than what you just anticipated coming in, and it's, it's pretty interesting, and I think – I think this kid's going to be the real deal when it comes to the NBA game. Bobby, I have a, I have a theory that w- one of the things that Brett Brown is going to have to allow Simmons to do, and Simmons is going to have to kind of take this onus on himself, is he's going to have to miss shots, take and miss shots until he, until he starts to take and make shots. Um, that you're going to have to live with like a two for 16 night um, from him so that he, you know, continues to take those shots and then eventually start to make them because otherwise, you know, defenses will sag off him and it'll lead to turnovers and teams will just dare him to shoot the ball. And if he doesn't shoot it, um, you know, the whole system's going to kind of collapse at some point. Am I completely totally wrong there? No, I totally agree with you, Mike. And uh, what I see it being right now, it's not so much, it's, it's 
it's not so much there is reluctance by him. He's in a bad habit right now. It, it, to me, it just looks like a bad habit. And players go through that, whether it's, you know, going to your right or left too many times. Lou Williams used to have, was gotten a horrible habit. He would pump face every time before he shot the ball, so much so that it became ineffective after a while, and he knew it. I, I think Ben Simmons right now is just in a habit of when he pulls up somewhere, he's not looking to shoot. And he needs to get into the habit of shooting. And you're right, I totally agree with you that, that he needs to go through those, like, two for 16 nights or, or just 15 shot attempt nights. But the, the real fine line that they're going to, you know, maybe struggle with is if he goes for those two for 16 as much as the Sixers are happy that he's shooting, where does the confidence level go of, of Ben Simmons when they're not going in the basket? You want to be happy to see him shooting, but he needs to he needs to get that confidence seeing the ball go through the basket. So my thing is at the beginning, and I think he can do this very well, and I think he can do it to the M- at the NBA level. He needs to take the ball to the basket, and get his shot that way. You know, when 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 he's penetrating and going to the to the basket, what I noticed in summer league, he has a super pump fake. But so many times in summer league, there's the pump fake, and he's looking to kick out. You know, he's got to take that next step of if there's two guys up in the air, you got to create contact and get the ball up so you can either score and get to the foul line or just get to the foul line. So they have to create ways for him to shoot more, but also get him into the spots where he'll get confidence when he sees the ball going through the basket. Hey, Bobby, it's Jonathan. i got a question for you. Um, you talk about Simmons shooting and, and being put in positions to take shots and all that. What do you think all this conversation says about where he's playing on the floor, one to five, when things get going, because I know long term they want to get rid of the point guard, and you know he can do so many things that you know it becomes kind of complicated. I mean, put aside the fact they've got you know four power forwards, two centers, and whatever else. With just with Simmons alone, where do you think he starts out on the floor, and where do you think he ends up? Yeah, I, I think where you start him out is kind of what they were doing in summer league, John, and that was where a point guard, a so-called point guard, brings the ball up, gets it off to Simmons. Simmons will start low, come high, get the ball, and now he's going to facilitate the offense. I think what's key early is that you get, and they haven't really done it so much yet, but they're going to have to do it through this year and next, is surrounding him with the right players. The right players. <laughs> the, right players. the right players. So it's going to have to be, in my opinion, a point guard is going to have to be a little bit of a scorer. He's going to have to be a guy who, once he gives up the ball to Ben Simmons, he's either going to be a really good cutter through the lane, a guy that can spot up, catch and shoot, a guy that, that can grab the ball as he's going to the basket and, and you know look to get fouled or score that way. Or it can be like the second hockey assist guy where Simmons gives him a pass and then he goes off and he's passing to someone else. They, they, they just have to sprinkle people around Ben Simmons. Once you do that, I think he can become your point guard. I really do. I, I think you can facilitate pretty much everything through him. And maybe it's not him having the ball, the inbound it to him, him bringing it up, and boom, there you go. But but for the most part, yeah, he's the guy who's ball who's who's going to have the ball in his hands for most of the shot clock, and that's where you go. And, and you know, by definition, that's kind of your point guard when you take away the ball handling aspect of it. So where does Gerald Henderson play into that? Do you think? Yeah, I, I don't mind him as a pickup. I, I think he's a solid NBA offensive player. And look, just being a solid NBA player isn't a bad thing on the Sixers because they don't have a lot of them. I mean, that's a 
real step up from what you have on the roster right now. So, you know, he's going to be a guy that I think, like I described earlier, he's kind of a slasher. He's a scorer. I think he'll be able to benefit off of, uh, you know, the running game. He's an athlete, stuff like that. I, I think Jared Bayless is, you know, a nice little piece in there, a point guard, because the more he shoots, the better he shoots. And, you know, he can be that spot-up guy with Simmons finding him with the basketball. you got to spread the floor, just like you were saying earlier, John. If everybody's, you know, collapsed in that zone, Simmons has nowhere to go. The big men have nowhere to go. It becomes the type of defense that the Sixers have seen every night over the last three years, and that's basically five guys in the lane just daring them to try to beat them from the outside. Yeah, they need they need so they need they need two guys to to, to be able to take advantage of, of to take full advantage of the mismatch he 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 provides, which is with his length and on the perimeter, his ability to skip, um, you know, to skip across the court and and switch switch the court and and have have you know a shooter and a and a penetrator to, to attack that weak side because I mean if everyone's you know if, if if everyone's sagging towards his you know baseline a little bit because of his his finishing ability. Um, you know, you, you need guys who can who can. You see that with the Warriors so much, where they they can just switch the ball around the perimeter and 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 just pick their mismatch almost. No, you're exactly right, David. And and it's something that I kind of mentioned before. Like this guy, I, I could see him as much as he can do from the top of the key and dribble penetration and kickouts and all. I do see times where they're going to feed him the ball, say down, at, you know, near the box, somewhere around there. And if the double comes. He is big enough and strong enough and with either hand to throw that, like, whip pass, that skip pass with either hand. You know, going across the court, he's big enough where he can see it, he's big enough where he can throw it, and he can do it with either hand. So that, that's, like, a really valuable tool for him to have, and they have to exploit that. There's so many different ways that you can use Ben Simmons that it should be really fun for Brett Brown to try to figure it out. It'll be a lot more fun when the proper players are sprinkled around them and a lot more easy to do. So if we if we, uh, yeah, if we if we yeah. presume that you know there's a deal coming here at some point that one of Noel or Okafor is going to go uh, and probably for a guard in some form. But at the moment it sounds like what we're talking about is a lineup of Bayless Henderson Simmons, Sarich, and well, then one of Noel or, well, let's Noel start, or Okafor. Let's start right let's start right there then. What do you think this lineup looks like at the beginning of the year. Is Okafor on the team? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, you know, I, I just get the feeling that they really do feel that he is going to be a really good pro. And right now, to get a couple of pieces to kind of fit in, I don't I don't know if that's on the screen. I, I'll say that, that maybe Merlin's Noel might be the odd man out here, okay. and that maybe he's the guy that they're looking to unload more. But if Okafor, which everyone would suspect, gets you more pieces and better pieces because his value is higher, I understand what you're doing there. I, I don't see anything happening before the season. I, I'm leaning more towards if a trade happens, it's going to be a deadline thing, and then that's when they're they're filling some stuff out. So going back to the original, if you look like, if you look at an opening night lineup. If, if Embiid is going to be on that 15 to 20, 15 to 18 minute uh, limit to begin the season, I don't know if they throw him out there right away to start. So I, I think I, I'll, I'll go something like this. I'll go Henderson and Bayless. I think you're going to need shooting out there, so I think they might throw Covington in the starting lineup with Simmons, and then you throw like a Okafor or Noel in there, and then 
you know, you go from there. Um, you know, it's 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 almost like predicting the Eagles' um, record when the re- when the when the schedule comes out in April. It, it's kind of weird to do right now and kind of ridiculous. But, but Bobby, that's what we do um, for a living. Yeah, that's why we have fun with it. But I, I don't know if I don't know if Embiid if, if he's only getting that fifteen minute increment. You throw him out there for the first five minutes, and then you only have him for ten. I think they might want to try to get him in there. You know, against the second unit, get his confidence up, get his wind up, and 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 probably not start him for a little while. Is Saric in that same so, same second tier? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you, John. Is Dario Saric in that same second tier, guys? I think so. Yeah, I, I think ideally, ideally with Dario Saric, even when he learns the league, when he becomes better, when he, he you know his, he he learns the game, I think that he becomes a good rotation player. I don't. You know, and that's what I've been told. That's what I believe. I don't know if I see Dario Saric as being, um, you know, an, an NBA starter and difference maker. His best days may be 20 minutes off the bench, you know, good, hard, solid minutes. Uh, he's going to struggle with the NBA to begin with. His, his slowness and his, he's, he's 6'10", but he has a short body, and you guys know what I mean by that. He's going to struggle defensively. Um, and so it, it's going to take him a while to get adapted to the league. Sielski, you still there? Yeah, I'm still here, John, uh, Bob. With respect, to, barn, I'm Mike. Yeah, <laughs> with respect to Embiid, um, you know, this to me is one of the great challenges that, that Brett has this season is basically like keeping this guy healthy and, you know, kind of getting him acclimated to the league at the same time. Have, has anybody around the team laid down what they think or, or expressed what they think the proper amount of playing time for him will be you mentioned 15 to 18 minutes is that the scuttlebutt do they think he can increase that over the course of the season do they have any idea at all yeah it's it's not so much that it's like laid in stone like i'm kind of making a read of, of what i see and what i have seen uh, as far as cautiousness goes to injury by the sixers and and he just is the is the perfect candidate from what i see right now the guy that they're they're not going to push. Brett Brown has said he doubts he's, he's going to see back-to-back games at the beginning of the season. I, I've kind of put it in my head. I think they'll toy with 15 to 18. That becomes at some point 18 to 20, and maybe not even get up to 25 until like maybe the Christmas time area on a consistent basis. I I see them taking really taking their time, and also it gives them a look to see what else they have or, or shows the rest of the league. What Joel, or I'm sorry, what Joel Okafor is about, what Nerlens Noel is about, maybe what some other guys are about, and, and how they may fit in in the in the trade pieces. But I I would be shocked if the Sixers didn't take this ultra slow when it comes to the recovery and the, the playing time of Joel Embiid. So Bobby, it's interesting to hear you talk. Uh, I mean, and it makes sense when you think about it, but. It, there, it's almost like this is a developmental year for several of these guys. Embiid, certainly, Sarge, it sounds like, and then, you know, who knows with Simmons. So, so you know, I, I started thinking about it when you were talking about Simmons' ability to finish at the rim. Um, you know, and Brett Brown clearly is a, is a good coach, um, and, and normally in the NBA, you know, with the Spurs, you're talking about team practices. But does he have... I, I, I mean, is there going to be a different field of practice this year? Is how how are you? How is he going to fit? I mean, you have 82 games. You know, you've got to rest. You've got to prepare for opponents. But then you've also got to you know send Ben Simmons out there and throw body bags at him while he's while he's you know going up at the rim. And you know you got to you know have 
Sarich working on his defense and, 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 you know, Embiid working on everything just about since he's been, you know, off his feet for so long. How is he, how are they going to do this um, to, to balance that competitive play and then to, to get these guys developing to where when they're ready to compete, they can compete, you know, to their potential? Million dollar question. The million dollar question. That's a, that's a great one. I, you know, this year I do believe in the year of development. And I say it to people who tweet me and say, nah, they can, they can get 35, 40 wins this year and compete for a playoff. And all I can do is shake my head and try to talk them, you know, talk them down a little bit. You're, you're talking about a team improving by, if that were to be the case, 25 to 30 games. And that's not going to happen this year. Like I said, I, I don't know. You know, that, that, that's a, that's a hard, a hard thing to figure out. Like, you want to try to balance. These guys need to learn how to win in the NBA. Nerlens Noel, Jalil Okafor, they need to learn how to win in the NBA because they, quite frankly, haven't done it at all. So you want to try to get some wins under their belt. At the same time, are you, you like you said, are you killing a Ben Simmons by going 38, 40 minutes a night to try to eke out another win when Joel Embiid is coming along slowly, when Jalil Okafor hasn't played 5-on-5 five five yet since his surgery. How ready is he going to be at the beginning of the season? Maybe his minutes are going to be limited also. So I'll tell you, it's a, it's a fine line Brett Brown has. He wants to win. He thinks the time is to win. And I think he's right that these young kids need to learn how to win. Um, but at the same time, I, I think this season is all about progression. It, it, it is for Embiid, who's never played in the NBA, for Sarich, who's never played in the NBA, for Jalil Okafor, who's only played 53 games in the NBA. It's about all that, and and you know they that that's first and foremost, and maybe it'll cost you a few wins here and there. I feel bad, Bobby, for you and Keith and all the uh, you know, having to put up with the impatient folks again and again and again. I mean, I know you've heard me say many times before about what it, and you've heard Mike say it and write it, and Dave say it and write about what it takes. I think to, Mike is on AOL Instant <laughs> Messenger right now. <laughs> what, I'm working on my column. Okay, what, what it what it takes to develop a really good, really really elite level team in the NBA and I'm 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 more patient I guess than some other folks with this stuff because of that and with the patience Bobby one of the things that I noticed during the summer league that kind of flew under the radar at least I thought it's summer league it all flew under the radar except that all the games were on (laughs) national TV so everybody was watching is that Timothy Luau got a lot of minutes and I know that you know it's the summer league and you know, as, as you said earlier, it's not all the stars and all that stuff, but it sure looks like the Sixers took a long, hard look and gave a real opportunity to a guy who on draft night, the international scouts were saying a lot of really, really good things about. They did. They did, and he, he deserved it. I mean, if you're going to take that guy, why not? You know, he's somebody that you're already invested in. Why not take a look? So he, he showed some flashes. I, I think he's a uh, Delaware 87er for most of this year. In my opinion, um, you know, he'll have a chance to, to maybe uh, get up with the team for a little bit. But he just needs to develop his game. He needs to learn the NBA. Um, how much you actually learn about the NBA in the D League is, is another question. But you can develop your game. You can work on what you need to do as far as getting into the NBA down there. And that's just where I see him. I don't see a guy like him really getting anything out. Or, or I shouldn't say that. I don't, see any, I don't see a guy like him getting more out of limited practices, sitting on the end of the bench during games, than you do, you know, understanding the rigors of having to play 35, 40 minutes a night, even though it's down in the D-League. So I, I see that's where he's destined, but I do see some, some pretty neat things in him that, that might lend him to, to be part of this roster in the near future. 
All right, Bobby. Well, guess what, man? We're gonna let you go. What are you doing? What are you doing the rest of the summer? What's on your? What's on your? Well, today I am. I am. Let me tell you what I'm doing today, Dave Murphy. I just parked in front of the pop shop in in Collinswood, New Jersey. I'm speaking to a group of uh, of great kids from from the area uh, about uh, what sports can mean in your life and how you can learn life lessons from sports. Uh, so I'm doing that today, and and uh, you know we'll do some uh, enterprise stories throughout the summer and. I'll follow my kids playing basketball and soccer and swimming and all the fun stuff that summer brings. You going back to Ottawa this summer, Bobby? To where? Am I going back where? To Ottawa. Ottawa? Canada? Oh, to Canada. No. That's so funny, I'll tell John. The, that's very good. I'll tell the, yeah, I'll tell the story. John and I were up in Ottawa last year for the Women's World Cup soccer. I took my oh, family God. up to, I, the, uh, I come down to see the women play. China, was it, John? It was China and Ottawa. Ottawa. I come down to the lobby of my hotel, and there's Bobby with his family, mm. staying at the same hotel that I was, and neither of us had any idea. Pretty cool. What are the odds? I two am- two Americans a, out of soccer. I have been known to be a Jonathan Tannenwald stalker in the past, so uh, <laughs> I, I brought my family as a cover-up. That that says more about you than I care to know, Bob. Yeah, I mean. You're awake, Mike. Good to hear from you, buddy. <laughs> Mike, he was just he was sorry. Just, I did a load of laundry while you were uh, <laughs> we were talking about uh, speaking to the kids. He was looking for he, he was he was researching cure the cure lyrics for his next AOL Instant Messenger away message. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right, Bob. Well, we'll uh, me and Mike are going to sit here and kind of debrief what, what we just heard from you. But but you can go uh, go go make the world a better place. Tell I'll these kids to stay away best. from journalism. Uh, I can't get any worse when I'm in it. So yeah. uh, we'll see what happens. Thank you, sir. Guys, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yep. Thanks, Bobby. All right. See you guys. Mike, how about you just talk for ten minutes? It's uh. Yeah, it's your turn. <laughs> I think. No, but in reality, what is so, what did you take away? Um, I mean, is 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 this what you? My, my feeling is, you know, I, this is something I've I've been kind of maintaining that um, I've thought before that they needed to be patient with respect to Okafor and Noel. I mean, they're clearly not going to move. They're not going to trade Embiid. We know that. So the question comes down to, you know, do they move Okafor? Do they or do they move Noel? And when do they do it? Um, and I, I've gone back and forth about this, but generally I've come down on the side of, you know, they basically what what Bob Ford wrote a couple of days ago, which is they what they don't know about those guys is still greater than what they do know. So does it necessarily behoove them to move on from one of them right away before you play them some more and find out a little bit more and then make a more informed decision? And based on what Bob said, you know, it sounds like that's what the Sixers are going to do um, because as we've talked about, you know, this is still a developmental year. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of, it gets back to what uh, the three of us have discussed on the podcast before with respect to um, Sam Hinkie's resignation and this sense of, uh, you know, oh, okay, well the Sixers needed to move into the next stage of the process this season. It was always going to happen because you had all these, guys who you'd been waiting for kind of coming in. This was always going to be a, okay, now we start to figure it out year. Now we've got all these pieces. Um, let's see how we can use them and which ones we want to keep and which ones we want to discard. Um, so it, it sounds like that's what they're going to do. And so I'm kind of encouraged by that. Um, I still feel like Okafor is the guy who's going to end up not quite fitting uh because of just of his style of play as as effective as he might be in the post and as much 
potential he might have as a low post scorer. Um, they still want to play fast, and I'm not sure that he is suited for that. I'm not sure he's a good enough defensive rebounder. I'm not sure he runs the floor well enough to do that. Doesn't mean he can't. I'm just not sure he'll be that guy. Um, so yeah, that, that was the thing I took out of it. That, that it sounds like they're gonna they're gonna wait um, and just see what happens over the first you know few weeks or months of the season. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, Okafor is almost like the reverse Jordan Hicks, where like the more the more time that goes by without him doing anything, the more we forget how good of a <laughs> how good of a yeah. player. I mean, this guy's a very good offensive player. Uh, you know, as good an offensive player as good a big man offensively, at least p- polish wise, as has come out in quite some time. Um, and that's something of a known commodity. And I, I don't know that it's going to go away. You know, I don't know that Jaleel Okafor's value is going to be any less a year from now than it is right now. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, like, yeah, like you, like yeah, think, what you don't know, do what you don't I, know is how he's going to fit with Ben Simmons and, and kind of the team that you're building. And, you know, why not find out, you know, I, obviously you're not going to turn down a deal if, 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 you know, you think it's the best deal you're going to get over the next couple of years, but there's no, re- there should be no rush to trade this guy. I mean, again, this guy has, has a very polished uh, offensive game and, and he's still young. And I would, I would assume, yeah. trade deadlines being what they are, that the closer you get to that, the more desperate some team that wants them is going to be and the more they'll give up. True. And the other, the other factor is, and, and John and I talked about this a couple of weeks back with Mike Jensen, is you know, in some ways I feel like Okafor's got to kind of replenish his value um, in, from two standpoints. Number one, he's, it would really be helpful to him and to the Sixers if he can show that he can be a better defensive rebounder if he can run the floor, if he can be a better defender, you know, all those things either make it more likely for the Sixers to keep him or get more for him in a trade. And then he's got to keep his nose clean. He's got to show that he learned, you know, a little bit about how to handle himself in the NBA based on the off the court stuff that happened last year. Again, for all those reasons that, you know, it makes it more likely that a team would be willing to to give up more to get him or it makes it more likely that the Sixers would commit to him over the long term. So, so yeah, I mean, I, it surprised me that, that Bob was that confident that Okafor is going to be around. Just, I, I mean, I haven't followed, I have not followed the situation closely. It just seems like we've been hearing his name the entire yeah. time. But I guess if, yeah. I guess if, if a team has not been inclined to acquire him by now, you know, you know, perhaps they're just not going to do it. Yeah. And, and, and I'm surprised by it because I feel like, um, you know, Nerlens Noel, at least on the surface, if, if we're still looking at any kind of fit sort of perspective with the Sixers, you know, I, I see Ben Simmons throwing him alley-oops and I see him, you know, defending better on the perimeter, you know, being the seven-footer who can get his hand in a in a, an opposing three-point shooter's face, who can get down the floor with the same speed that Ben Simmons can, you know, getting back to what Bob talked about about Simmons' speed with the basketball. You know, I know Noel is limited offensively, um, but those those other aspects of his game seem to fit fairly well with what they, the Sixers would want to do with Simmons running the show. So that's still a little surprising to me that there seems to be this, you know, in, in the toss-up between are they going to move Noel or are they going to move Okafor, that it seems more likely that they'll move Noel. Just right now, it seems to me like Noel is the better fit. I'm not a New Orleans Noel fan. I have to go back and watch these games again because everyone talks about Noel being such a good fit. 
And that that's true, obviously, on the defensive end. But, I mean, can you have two guys? Let's say Ben Simmons really does take a while to get his shot off. I mean, can you have two guys um, who defenses don't have to respect that 17, 18, 19-foot jumper? That's a good question. Um, you know, I don't know. I think, you know, I, I'm actually convinced Noel is best suited to be a starter um, on this team if and when it gets good. Um, you know, that he's the Joachim Noah-style guy coming off the bench, the sixth, sixth man who gives you energy and, you know, weak side block shots and defensive help and, you know, throws down a few alley-oop dunks, gets some rebounds to keep possessions alive, things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and maybe I'm wrong about it. Maybe, maybe that's not valuable enough to hang on to at this point. Um, I mean, I the only know. question is, uh, is it a deal breaker on the offensive end? I mean, are you sandbagging your offense by having yeah. – uh, I mean, d- d- you need flexibility with a guy like Simmons. Uh, like, you need, you, need, you need guys who can do multiple things, um, you know, and who can beat their man when it's asked of them. And I'm not sure you can – I mean, Noel just kind of, like, lingers on the offensive end. And, and you know, there's, to me, there's a question that, that – whether that's a, a guy that can really – Stay out, of, you know. Stay out of Simmons' way. Do you but, know what I'm saying? But if he if he is the guy who is throwing down the alley oops and is getting down the floor as fast as Simmons does, and so on and so forth. How many alley oops does Nerlens Noel throw down in a regular game? I, I mean, he we can't, might he can't about, go back door on anybody because nobody be respects about, his perimeter. We might be about to find out. But Mike, the reason why I ask is that if he becomes that guy, doesn't his trade value all of a sudden go through the roof? I mean, if I become that guy, my trade value goes through the roof. But Nerlens Noel is who he is. I mean, I, I don't, I don't see where Nerlens Noel is all of a sudden going to become anything other than what he is. I mean, what am I missing? Well, I think you're, I think, you know, his value defensively far outstrips Okafor's, and I think that matters. Too. I'm just talking about the offensive end. I, I know, but you know, if you have Covington out there um, who can shoot a little bit. Um, you know, if you have Bayless out there who can shoot a little bit, um, Henderson's three-point percentage has improved consistently since he entered the NBA. Um, you know, and if, if Simmons is the passer that they think he's going to be, you know, presumably these guys are going to get pretty good looks. I mean, that's that's part of the issue with what we don't know about either Simmons, without uh, either Noel or Okafor, is that you know who's been getting them the ball in positions where they're best suited. To get the ball, and I'm, that doesn't mean that Nerlens Noel would be a 20-point scorer with Ben Simmons, and and wasn't with Ish Smith or T.J. McConnell. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just suggesting that, you know, I think we've got to see. This comes down to, you know, like we where we started the discussion, which is we've got to see what these guys can do now that you have a number one overall pick who, you know, seems to be a brilliant passer and seems to be able to do a lot of different things. Let's see what things he does with each of these guys. I mean, I'm just thinking it through because, because yeah. you know, as you said, if they end up parting with Noel, it kind of does not jive with the conventional wisdom that that everyone has espoused, you know, over this last these last six months. You know, and I I just wonder if they look at uh, as good as he can be defensively, if he's just if, if he will. F- break the machine on offense i mean if you have so if you have Nerlens noel on there on the offensive side of the court he's gonna have a big man on him and you know in an ideal situation he's probably not going to be on the same side of the court as ben simmons uh, there's you know obviously going to be spacing there and and anybody who's playing Nerlens noel can, can can play so far off him i wonder if you know that might be a the sixers might wonder whether that's that's a way teams 
will be able to disrupt Ben Simmons. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, if you, yeah. you can't, you can't, you cannot tell a guy who's guarding Julia Okafor, look, you know, you're, you're 50% of your responsibility is, um, healthy on, on Simmons. Um, you know, and like I said, Noel just kind of like roves out there on offense, you know, like he just can't really do anything unless it's, you know, on a loose ball and a rebound. Right. I, I agree. And, but, but that brings me back to my original point, which is, okay, if he, if he's shown any improvement at all in his ability to hit a 10 to 15 foot jump shot to at least make a team think about having to guard him on the perimeter, then that's something else entirely. Um, and I think that's, that's why the argument for prudence has some water. Like, let's see if, if he's still the same guy, 15, 20, 30 games into the season, who a team doesn't have to worry about on offense because well, all he can do is throw down an alley-oop and you know, we can have the guy guarding and stay at the rim to keep him from throwing down an alley-oop. And that's one thing. But if he hasn't proved you know, his offensive game enough to make an opposing team think about it, then maybe that's something else. Yo, Mike, I got another question off topic. Okay. Uh-oh. Uh Oh, what time does the Warminster train run now? If this, with this abortion of a septa, you know, I have no idea. I haven't even looked at the schedule since this whole SEPTA thing went into, uh, um, you know, it came down since the whole ridiculousness of it began. Um, I'm not even thinking about it. I just, I dread the drive into Center City and South Philly. So here's my question. How much, how much do the suburbs pay to support regional rail? Oh dear That's God, a really good go. question. I because it seems to me, to I mean, like I've been on the train where, where they don't even get around to collecting money from you, you know? And, uh, mm-hmm. It just seems like uh, I'm, I'm not sure that, that I'm not sure that the Jamisons of the world are p- pulling their when, pulling their when, weight. When uh, when we start our news side podcast, as we're talking about dreaming of someday doing, in some portions of the newsroom, we'll have you guys on to ask all the SEPTA questions. All right? Yeah. I mean, I, well, honestly, we, I think what we need to do, yeah. what we should do, is maybe you know sometime in the fall or even sooner. We we've got to get Inga Inga Saffron yes. on to talk about the Temple Stadium situation. Yeah, I mean, I I was. I, I, I'm starting to like plant seeds in everybody's brain about a news podcast because I really want to. I I really want a local Philadelphia news podcast that I can listen to, so I don't have to listen to the radio. Um, I'm so sorry. And I think that the, I know. I just I just think there's a market there because this is a question. Like I would listen to an entire podcast on how messed up SEPTA is, wouldn't you, Mike? <laughs> and out of perverse pleasure, yes, absolutely, I would. All right, let's see. Warren. I'm I'm on my mobile telephone right now. Searching for the schedule. Let's see. We probably ought to have Sue Snyder on when it comes to talking about Temple stuff too, because you know the the yes. news the news got out and, and yes, ladies and gentlemen listening, this is one of our very favorite subjects here on Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. The news got out uh in fact right before All right, we, were, we were coming to record uh the show that uh a deal has been struck according to Sue Snyder, who covers higher ed for the Inquirer Daily News. Uh, a tentative agreement with embattled President Neil Theobald of Temple for him to resign. Two sources close to the negotiations confirmed. And Mike Jensen tweeted just as we were starting to record that he was on his way over to the Board of Trustees meeting to find out how this is going to affect the football stadium matter. And it is getting all very fascinating now, especially in the context of, wait for it, the Big 12 potentially expanding and all of the Temple people believing that that is where they're headed. Well, this is really going to get interesting once Temple hires Murph to be its next president. So, you know, we got to we got to deal with that on the podcast. Is that is that that completing the trade that sent Bill Bradshaw back to LaSalle? I think so. Yes. Um, 
The, uh, all I will say is the board has not reached out. If elected, would you serve? <laughs> if elected, would I serve? I'm, I mean, it pays pays good money, right? There's not much I wouldn't do for a half million dollars a year. Okay, then. there you go. I'm right there with you. But I, uh, but I mean, what is the latest on? Have I missed something over the last uh, four or five days? Is there is there has there been an update on on what this means for Temple? Well, I, I mean, the the story came out as I said just as we were starting to record the show. That uh, and I'll I'll read a little bit here from from Sue's story. Temple University's Board of Trustees has reached a tentative agreement with embattled President Neil Theobald for him to resign. Two sources close to the negotiations confirmed the tentative settlement comes just hours before the board plan to meet and vote on dismissing Theobald, who has been at the helm for three and a half years. As of when we're recording the show, no details of the agreement were immediately available. I get the impression that this has more to do obviously with the provost and the whole controversy over the financial aid stuff, but also um, I, I have heard from some folks, uh, Mike, and I'm sure you have too, that most of the board of trustees are still very much on board with the stadium plan. Yeah. Like we said last week, you know, this is, I think this is a situation where um, everybody was in agreement in carrying out a bad plan and they just, they thought that the president was carrying out a bad plan badly. Um, so, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Here's a topic for a future podcast. Let's somebody with somebody with a better better memory than mine, like write this down or something. Um, I mean, I've like, I could I could mess up suit. Uh, so don't don't put it under my responsibility. But uh, are you rooting for Chip Kelly this year? Am I rooting for Chip Kelly? I know I mean, Sam Allen is. He wrote about that today. Yeah, I'm um, looking, I'm looking at the headline. It, Maybe maybe rooting is not the right word, but the, the Chip Kelly thing is going to be very very interesting to me. Like I'm very interested. I'm not rooting for Chip Kelly, but I'm interested in 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 monitoring him. Um, yes, I, I'm I'm curious. Like I'm curious to see how the rest of Philadelphia feels about um, feels about the chipper. I don't think they like him very much. I don't think they like him much either. But I also think that's based entirely on what happened over the last season. I think. I think if he goes out there and the 49ers are good, then they're going to not like Jeffrey Lurie even more than they don't already like him. Um, because all of a sudden it be, the narrative changes and it goes from, you know, hey, the owner stepped in and did what he had to do in firing a coach who couldn't get it done to, oh, my God, the meddling owner stepped in prematurely and fired a guy who's a really good coach and wouldn't let him do the job fully to begin with. All right, here's a question. October 2nd, 49ers host the Cowboys. They're going to play the, I think the 49ers play the Rams on like the first Monday night or something to open the season, like 1030, whatever it is the NFL does now. So I don't know how many people are going to stay up for that game. The next two weeks, they're getting the Niners games, I assume, are of the kind that most people in Philly, unless they have Sunday ticket, are not going to see. So then you get to October 2nd, which is the Eagles' bye week. And... Cowboys at 49ers is the 425 game, so I assume it'll be on TV here, and I assume a lot of Eagles fans will watch it. Are they rooting for Chip Kelly, or are they rooting for the Cowboys? That's a really good question. Um, I think they probably root for the 49ers and Chip. So, like, I guess my question, I guess what I'm wondering is, do you think there's enough interest in Chip Kelly where if we spend some time, like, looking at the Niners at some point because I, I don't I think there will I think there definitely is I'm curious to see what what because that Niners team is that that you want to talk about a bad organization 
Um, yeah. That's a bad football organization. And it's, it's, it's hard for me to see them. Um, at the same time, Chip Kelly, I think people, for whatever reason, downplay what he was able to do with a very lackluster cast of offensive talent. I mean, the guy, the guy for whatever, it might not be sustainable in the NFL. Um, I don't necessarily think it is sustainable in the NFL, but he can, he can come into a situation and, and whip an offense into shape and get receivers open. And I mean, I mean, Mark Sanchez, Nick Foles and Sam Bradford all by far had the best statistical years of their career under Chip Kelly. So, you know, I'm interested to see what, what he can do um, with what they have there. But the the problem is they're just, I mean, guys are retiring left and right. And, yeah, I think you're. I think you're right. I, I I think that that was always my. And I think we've discussed this, Murph. And I think we, you know, we probably each wrote about it back in the end of December and early January when the firing happened. But the thing that bothered me most about the decision to fire Kelly was kind of the the impatience of it and mm-hmm. the the idea that if you hire a guy like that, yeah, you you have to let him do his thing for a while. And and to fire him that quickly, closed off. The entire closed off the Eagles organization to the idea that that as arrogant as he may have been and as stubborn as he may have been then, that there was any chance he was going to change how he did things, that he was going to, you know, figure it out there in was, a way there and, was, and adjust what he was doing. There was clearly a blow up of some kind with Jeff Lurie that provoked this. So it yeah, but they, I think they were. Already, I, I think I think acutely there was a re- oh, that, yeah. that was what provoked the firing a week left in the season. But I think you know I believe them when they say, you know, this thing they, they had already this was already heading towards it a divorce um, by the time yeah. that, that came around. And I, to me like that, as you were saying, Mike, to me, it's almost like self, it's almost like ontological, you know, like if you, if, if you, if That's there was any word. possibility that you were going to fire Chip Kelly at the time they fired Chip Kelly, then you made a mistake hiring him, you know, like, like, right. You got it. Like right. you, you don't hire you don't a guy like a guy like that. And then get rid of him. Cause he's quirky. Prove himself with Howie Roseman watching. So you say, this is the direction we're taking our franchise. We're giving this guy carte blanche for a time because he does things so differently and go with it. Let's see what, you know, that would have been being bold. Lurie likes to talk all the time about being bold. That's being bold mm-hmm. is, is taking that direction and staying on that course for a while. It's not giving him a year and then saying, oh, sorry, forget it. It's not going to work. So, so do we think that Ray Ratto or Bruce Jenkins listens to this show? No. No? All right. I mean, you could pretty much sub in any name in the universe, and I would say I would answer no to that. Well, I mean, you you have me thinking about whether we ought to try to go get somebody from out there to. I mean, we yeah, talk we, about Chip. But. Yeah, we could. I mean, let's let's do we it. We can get anybody. Let's get everybody. Yeah, right. we got nothing but time, baby. The internet is the internet is like Dennis Kelly, it is eternal, <laughs> infinite. And on that note, and on that note, I think anyway, we're we'll uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, we'll, we'll Wednesday Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, we will check in from the first few days of. Uh, Eagles training camp, assuming none of us are in a Turkish prison um, somewhere. Oh, Billy. I, I'm guessing that is a quote from Midnight Express. You got it. Aha! See, that's... Very good. This is how. This is why I'm good at Jeopardy, because I just use the context clues. I don't I, actually know the answer <laughs> to the question. I, I will not be in a Turkish prison because I'm not going, but I wish both of you good luck. All right. Bye, everybody. See ya.